This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. It is our first episode of 2023. And for today's episode, I am incredibly excited to have on the conductor of chaos himself once again back here on the Deep Dives feed. I'm here today with Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing better now that you just reminded me that this is the first Deep Dives episode of 2023. I feel like I'm going to put that on my resume. Might have to, you know... <laughs> Add that in the Twitter bio. I'm doing good, Nick. How about yourself? How are we, how are we holding up this week? We're holding up. I, th- I think that's the part in your resume. You have to put it in white text. You know? Yes. Yes, so exactly. Actually, nobody actually sees it, but you know it's on there. Exactly. It's like you have to get the uh, invisible ink from uh, National Treasure. That's a very old joke right there. <laughs> Perfect. But um, no, I'm excited for this one. I'm excited to talk hoops with you as always, good friend. So today we are covering your Around the World article on Nikola Jurisic and his game in general. And we will get to some of the parts of his game later on this podcast in a specific section. But I wanted to start out the Jurisic discussion with talking about what he does best, which is the reason why many evaluators, myself included, I believe yourself included, have him as a first round prospect for the 2023 NBA draft. He is an exceptional playmaker for his size, and that's sort of the starting point for the positive evaluation of Jurisic. So I'm just going to let you have the floor here. What did you like when you looked at Nikola Jurisic's playmaking for this article? Yeah, I mean, Jurisic is one of these guys in the international class, and the international class has been a little bit of a, you know, it's been it's been a tough start for the year because obviously Victor Wembanyama is the the prize possession that everyone's drooling over with, but it's kind of like who's the next guy who's who's really gonna get our attention? And you know, there's James Naji with Barcelona, um, Ryan Rupert who's playing in New Zealand, creating some buzz, but he had an injury, so he's been out for a little bit. And then Jurisic has been a guy who's he's Serbian. He's been playing with Mega um, Basket and. He also had a rough little start to the year. He had a um, throat injury that kind of missed his preseason. Then he had a knee injury in the middle of the year, missed some games. So he's starting to get back into the groove of things. And when you look at his numbers, you're not going to be wowed. Um, that's just that's just not the type of production he's been putting up yet. But if you turn on the tape and watch him, he really does some special stuff. And, you know, he plays the game like a like a floor general, like a guard. But then you realize, oh, he's six eight and has these ball skills and looks like a guard out there. I mean, when you watch him on film, he looks like he's six three with just the way he moves and how smooth and he's running the show constantly. He's setting up the offense. Um, but when you remind yourself, okay, he's six eight, he's eighteen, um, young kid, young talent. There's a lot of upside and 
the NBA always is hunting for the offensive weapons that have some versatility. That's what he has. That's, that's the part of his game. And as you're saying, Nick, you know, the playmaking, I think is something that really pops when you watch on tape, he makes some really beautiful reads, advanced reads where, you know, it's driving kicks and setting up his teammates with easy shots. Um, last game I, I watched, the, you know, the first five minutes, he had three assist opportunities and on like four possessions and, and his teammates missed a couple shots. But I was like, hey, that's what you want from a guy in the court is the understanding, the vision and the anticipation of how to read a defense. And, and he's shown he just is his game is more mature than his age may suggest. So I'm a big fan of his. I think he could be a guy that heats up. He just got to get that consistency going. So the consistency is one thing for him, certainly, but it is fascinating that you pointed out sort of how well he moves. It's just really that it's, he's super fluid. It's not that he's, you know, the greatest athlete in the world, which I'm not going to you know proclaim he is. He's not a bad athlete by any stretch, but really I think what it is for me that stands out in terms of his movement is, you know, again, he does move a little bit like he's someone who's five inches shorter, but you know, when we talk about jumbo playmakers, part of the advantage with those guys is that they can read the defense because they can see over the defense rather than, you know, a six foot guy at the top of the key trying to, you know, read his way through knowing where guys are supposed to be, but maybe not having the height necessarily to make that kind of kick out pass. You know, with Juricic, you're seeing someone who reads the floor exceptionally well, but also moves with a kind of fluidity that you expect out of a guard rather than a six, eight guy who, you know, plays a lot of guard, but is really wing sized. Yeah, it's really fascinating when you watch his game because, like you said, you, he moves so fluid. Um, it's just effortless out there for him, especially with the ball in his hands. And he's not this elite athlete, but then like he's not going to be a poster dunk guy. He's not going to win a slam dunk contest at the NBA level, but he also will go back door. He will attack, and he finishes with finesse, and it's really impressive, and it kind of just sneaks up on you. I mean – you're talking about, you know, jumping across the lane to finish with a reverse layup with the offhand in traffic against a couple of bigs, and he does it a lot. Um, he also is fearless when he's going to the basket. He will go right at someone and and try to create contact and finish for an and one. So it's the mentality he plays with, and, and it's not this, I have to go get 25 every game. Um, it, it's one of those, of like, okay, let me run the system. Let me run the offense. Let me trust my teammates try to create attention off the dribble. And, and he does that a lot. He gets people to bite and then he attacks and picks them apart and puts a lot of his teammates in, in position and catch and shoot opportunities and they're wide open, but it's just a really, you know, mature understanding of the game and, and how to play with poise. And I think that's the, my favorite part of his game as you know, when you're evaluating is he plays to his speed. He makes people come down to his speed. He plays controlled he understands, you know, fundamentals and that extra dribble can make that angle a little bit better for that passing opportunity. It's just, I really, really think there's, there's an intriguing talent that I think NBA teams are going to be excited about, even without the percentages that, you know, they've been a little bit down this year, but there's just too much raw talent. So we'll definitely circle back to the shooting percentages mm -hmm. later, but just sort of going back to the focus on playmaking. So for one, I feel like I make this reference basically every podcast, but it was something that I really got to saw, I got to see rather develop in real time with Deer and Fox that he figured out how to work at different speeds. You know, his rookie year, he was going 
full tilt all the time, which when you're the fastest player in the NBA, you know, it works out a decent chunk of the time, but his ability to go multiple speeds really helped open up his playmaking game, really helped open up his mid-range game. And, you know, I talked about this with Maxwell talking about Jalen hood Shafino. Anytime you see a prospect that young, who's already that good at manipulating their speeds, you know, even if they're not the fastest guy in the world, you know, there's something incredible that you can do with your game. If you can stop on a dime, if you can, you know, change paces and really just operate at your own pace, despite the pace of everybody around you. And, you know, it's one thing to see that out of a college prospect like Hood Shafino. It's another thing to see that out of someone playing in, you know, the second best professional league in the world. Right. And yeah. you know, playing for a team that's produced a ton of stellar NBA players, you know, most notably, obviously the guy who shares his, his first name who's on track to his third straight MVP but you know even outside of that and with Jurisic I do again want to circle back to the playmaking stuff and it's interesting because he's so good as an off the dribble passer and that's I think something that really differentiates him from a lot of different players you know I recently wrote about another international prospect who's playing for the G League Ignite but CD Sissoko is you know another 6'8 guy who is a really good passer, but, you know, the flashes of excellence that you see really come when they're making plays off the dribble. And that's something that I think both of those guys have in common where, you know, it's not just, okay, I'm going to get the ball at the top of the key and, you know, throw a flashy pass into the paint. It's okay. I'm, you know, bringing the ball up the court and I'm diming guys up from 30 feet. You know, that's something that again is really special to see in such a young prospect. Yeah. I I couldn't, you're on fire, Nick. I love this episode. So it, it's one of those personally, I think it's one of the more dangerous um, comments or, you know, praises you can get about a young prospect is like, Oh, they're fast. They're, they have such great elite speed. And it's like, okay, that's dangerous because, you know, they've been the fastest guy their whole, you know, career. When you want to say what going through high school and then they get to college and it's like that speed eventually catches up. And I know De'Aaron Fox is a great example of that because he was always the quickest guy. He had so much speed. And then, you have to get to that NBA level and things get very fast. So you have to learn how to use that speed at the right time. You can't just always be going hundred miles an hour. You have to have a change of gears. And I think when you don't have that elite speed, you can also be very quick and be dangerous. If you understand how to use your quickness to set up defenders, to set up the opportunity of, okay, this guy's going to bite. And now if I kick it into the third gear real quick, I can blow by him and create that separation. I think that's what Jurisic knows. I think he understands how to manipulate his speed and quickness because he can be very shifty and he, he has that good acceleration to pick his spots to, okay, that window's open. Now I can gas it and create that little mid range, which, you know, we'll talk plenty about, but he understands how to use the change of speeds to set defenders up to slow things down. And then when you, when you're you know relaxing as a defender, then he picks you apart. And I think that's really, really special with a lot of talent. And, and Jalen Hood Chafino is a guy I absolutely love. I think he does the exact same thing. I think he plays poised and under control, but knows when to be shifty and use his hesitations. And you know what? We're seeing a guy in Dallas that everyone was scared, you know, Luka Doncic, is he quick enough? And it's like, oh, I think he's pretty quick. He seems pretty efficient at this job of basketball. So it's just understanding how to read a defense and anticipation and and being under control and not panicking. And I, I think that's a big part of being a playmaker. And like you said, with his playmaking ability, one of the 
my favorite aspects when I watched this film is his live dribble passing is unbelievable. I mean, he can just be live dribble calm. And all of a sudden just woo, like throws it right over his head on a cross court on the money. And it, it's just great vision and anticipation and being able to see the floor. You're a baseball guy. So I know you'll yes. appreciate this analogy, but you know, if someone throws 100 miles an hour every pitch, eventually the best players at the MLB at MLB level will be able to catch up to that 100 mile an hour fastball. But yes, Jamie Moyer, and you're mixing in 70 mile an hour changeups and 65 mile an hour curves. All of a sudden, that 82 mile an hour fastball looks like 95. Right. And you know, if you only have the one pitch, if you only have the one speed, eventually people will get used to that and they'll find ways to counter it. You know, even if it's just okay, I know the 100 mile an hour fastball is coming. I'm just gonna, you know. I'm just going to take a swing at it because I know that where I see the ball is going to be where the ball ends up. Whereas if you're like, oh no, the, it might be, it might be a curve, right? I can't, you know, set up and wait for the 80 mile an hour fastball. You know, as soon as you're stuck on that, that's when the 85 mile an hour fastball goes right by you. And you're looking at it like, how did that happen? Like this, this guy doesn't throw anything. It's like, well, actually, you know, he mixes up his speeds enough so that you're confused so that you don't know what you're expecting. And you know, it's a similar thing on the basketball court, you know, where it's like, if you know exactly how they're going to play, then you can figure out ways to counter them. Even if you're going up against De'Aaron Fox and he's the fastest guy in the league, it's like, well, you know, the difference in speed isn't that much. If I know exactly that I just have to hang out on your left hip so that you don't drive left and, you know, try and force you right and be able to, you know, keep up with you, even if you have the step on me, right? Whereas with someone like Jurisic, it's okay you know, if he goes full tilt, maybe it's not as fast as someone like De'Aaron Fox, but if he's 18 years old and already knows, okay, you know, hesitation dribble here is going to be able to set me up to get an easy drive to the rim, then, you know, and Luke is the clearest example of this in the NBA right now, where it's like, you know, the guy's almost walking his way to the rim and people can't figure out what to do with it because they have no idea which way he's going to go before he actually commits to that drive. It's the understanding of angles when you don't have that elite speed. If you can figure out how to use angles to your advantage and, you know, waiting that half a second more on that screen so that you can come shoulder to shoulder coming off a pick and roll and make it almost impossible for a defender to get through that screen. Yeah. I mean, you could do some damage, especially if you have those change of gears and tight windows to, to create separation and, I think a lot of players overseas, um, and I think it's coming to the United States as well. I think when you're developing, you're seeing a little bit more of an emphasis on that as guys will sort of realize like, okay, I'm not going to be De'Aaron Fox speed. Um, so, so what can I do with the ball in my hands? And it's like, well, if you are fundamentally sound and you understand and the international game does a great job of this, you know, that when I coached overseas, that was one of the first things they told me, they said, we're never going to, compete with the United States when it comes to athleticism. So we have to beat them with our mind and they just destroy fundamentals in their head. Like they just hammer it home. They're like, you have to come off the screen this exact way. And you can see that with a lot of these guys and Serbians are known for being just relentless, you know, workers and they're tough minded. And there's just an understanding when you watch Jurisic on the court that he will find an angle he will find an opportunity for a defender. If they're falling asleep, he will exploit that when it's the right time. He will not rush it. He will wait. And, you know, if, if the first look isn't right, he will reevaluate and then get another look. And he's just very patient. And I think that's, 
that shows a very mature player. And, and I really do think teams are going to be intrigued because he's got versatility offensively. So similarly to his sort of passing game, his ability to play at different speeds, something else that you touch on at length in the article is his footwork. And mm-hmm. now you are not the Tyler who has said the word footwork 7 million times on the Deep Dives podcast and the NBA Deep Dives edition of the podcast previously. Exactly. Footwork, take a drink. But yeah, it is something that's very important with, I mean, with all prospects, really. But, you know, especially with a prospect like Jurisic, who, again, you know, I don't want to hammer the athleticism thing because he's really a solid athlete for his size, especially in terms of his fluidity. But, you know, if we're comparing him to the De'Aaron Foxes of the world or the John Morants of the world or the name your ridiculously athletic players of the world, you know, Amin and Asar Thompson, right? Like, he's not that level of athlete, but... You know, when you have the footwork advantage over, you know, guys who aren't necessarily as aware of where their body is at all times, you know, that's a huge advantage for a player who might not be an elite athlete, but, you know, is good enough, right? I think Jurisic is more than good enough athletically. And then the question is just, you know, does he know where he's supposed to be? Does he know how to get there? Does he know how to, you know, stop to give himself a little bit of extra space just in time? You know, all of those sorts of things. That's where, you know, and this is something that comes up all the time where, you know, the idea of the college game being a game of feet and the NBA game being a game of inches, you know, I guess if we're, you know, comparing internationally, it's a game of centimeters, but more centimeters than the inches of the NBA. You know, that was a really tortured analogy, but I went for it anyway. <laughs> I liked it. But <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> But, you know, the idea being that given that his footwork is as solid as it is and, you know, something that we've said again and again and will continue to is that he has such a mature game for any player, but especially for an 18 year old, you know, and that's going to be a huge part of teams evaluating him looking to see, okay, you know, what can he develop into? Well, he's so good at the basic fundamental stuff that there's a lot of different directions that he can build on with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just you know, we were talking about all, I think these, all these areas you're talking about, I think they go together. And it, it's when you're talking about like going back to the, the elite speed, I think when you don't have the elite speed, you have to, I think you can make up for it. I, I really do. And I think that we're, we're seeing examples of that with, you know, obviously Luca is the, the outlier cause he's just so dominant. But I think if you can read a defense and you have anticipation and you have good vision and then you pair that with footwork. I think that can go a long way towards sort of, you know, if you want to say kind of middling the, the range of how desperately different those two areas are, because I just, I believe footwork can be a dangerous, dangerous weapon. If you have good and great footwork, you can be a very big problem. And if you can pair that with, the ability to read a defender, to read a defense, to understand angles and how to, you know, an, an extra step this way gets, you know, the defender to move an inch, which all of a sudden creates a passing angle. And it's it's advanced stuff and it's it's hum, it's hammering home fundamentals. And it's also, it's, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's also caring enough to just be like, hey, yeah, I'm in a triple threat, and if I hit him with a jab step, then all of a sudden that's going to create a potential, you know, driving kick on the wing because the secondary defender is going to have to close on me. It's just advanced feel, and, and it's I know me and you have said this comment a lot of times on this podcast, but it really is maturity when you watch his game. He plays the game like he's been in the NBA for eight years and just has a feel for you know where people make mistakes and how to read defenses, but 
that's what we're we're seeing from a really young talent and i think that's special and you know i think those flashes of understanding and basketball awareness on both sides of the floor i think those are going to carry more weight when you talk to nba scouts and and personnel when you're talking about jurisdiction because his numbers this year haven't been awesome but from everyone I've talked to, there's a lot of fans. There's still a lot of fans around the league when it comes to Jurisic. And, you know, going to go back to the well here with another Kings point guard, sadly, former Kings point guard, my beloved Tyrese Halliburton, where, you know, it was clear from day one of his rookie year that he saw the floor better than a number of his veteran teammates. And, you know, not to, not to specifically shout out anybody, but, you know, the idea being that Tyrese knew where he was supposed to be on the floor. He knew where everybody else was supposed to be on the floor, basically from day one in the NBA. And, you know, similarly to Jersich, Tyrese is someone who I think of as decently fluid, not the greatest athlete in the world, but more than good enough. And, you know, when you combine that with footwork, with that understanding of the game, you know, it really makes it easier for guys who are, you know, much younger to make the kinds of plays that you wouldn't expect to see from people who are, you know, less than five years of experience in the NBA. Yeah. I feel like I've always got to pour one out when we talk about Halliburton being on the Kings formerly. So I apologize, but um, it's funny now with how good Halliburton has been this year in the NBA, I feel like everyone's really, you know, jumping the gun to be like, well, you can't compare him to Halliburton. Like Halliburton's an all-star. He's one of the best players in the league right now. It's like, calm down guys. Let's still have some fun here. But I think you're spot on, Nick. Um, it seems like we're in a weird way when it comes to evaluating. A lot of people are, you try to nitpick it, like nitpick these guys that have not the great athleticism, not, you know, not the fastest people, maybe not the greatest handles or they're not the flashiest, but they just know how to play the game and, and they know how to make their teammates better. They know how to read the floor and and make the right play and make the, the extra pass and, and create, you know, chaos on the court when it comes to just making the defense collapse on them and making life easier for everybody around them. And I think in a weird way, we can find ourselves as evaluators, like overthinking those guys because we're like, yeah, they do that, but can he score enough at the next level? Is he going to be a good enough defender? Uh, Is his three point shot quick enough? And it's like, you know, are they all respectable enough for the fact that all of his strengths are going to be really fun to play with at the next level? And I think we're getting to that point where it's a yes. And Halliburton, you know, when he was a prospect, one of my favorite film evaluations I've ever done in my life, because every game was just like, he made some plays that you're like, Oh my gosh, what, how did he see that? You know, just you're watching from your couch and you're like, how did he see that passing angle? but he just understood how to play a move ahead. And I think Jurisic has some of those. I'm not putting him on Halliburton's, you know, level because Halliburton had one of the most efficient seasons as a prospect of all time. But Jurisic just has those advanced reads and understandings of to make the cross court pass that you're like, Whoa, that was impressive. And it's on the money. And there's some, some crazy accuracy, but he's a fun, he's a fun talent, especially in this international class where, you know, I think all of us at No Ceilings were waiting for another international guy to start making some noise. And um, a lot of people in the draft community feel the same way, but he does some special stuff. And and I really do think it's like, we need to start evaluating guys that just get it, like just understand how to be 
great basketball players on the court. We need to start giving them a little bit more love. I think the numbers are going to come around with Jurisic, but what he's doing at 18, I mean, he's turned in 19 in February. It's just at six, eight with his feel for the game and his poise is really special. We actually talked about this during the last episode we did on Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf draft philosophy, where you know, we where shout out to literally us, but uh, you know, where I went on an extended rant about how Jay Crowder changed the way I evaluated prospects because it's like, you know, at a certain point when someone just does so many different things well on a basketball court, you know. You can say, oh, you know, I believe in this 19-year-old's potential so much more because, oh, my God, look at what a ridiculous athlete this guy is. You know, if only he figures out X, if only he figures out Y, if only he figures out Z. And then you look a little bit further down the board and you see someone who, you know, actually I've proven that I can do X, Y, and Z really well. And, you know, maybe I don't have the sort of pie in the sky oh this guy's going to be an all nba guy if only he can figure out these three things it's like well actually he's proven that he can be productive in these areas so if you're a team drafting late in the first round and you know you need someone who can be a six foot eight playmaker off the bench who you know has flashes you know good flashes and bad flashes but you know at least has some good flashes on the defensive end versus like i'm gonna go with this other, you know, especially with Jurisic, there isn't the age thing of like, oh, he's 22. He has much less room to develop. You know, he is still 18. But, you know, when we're talking about the Jay Crowders of the world, it's like this guy can be a valuable role player. He's proven that he can check all these boxes for us versus I'm just going to take this massive swing on this 18 year old who's got the athleticism part figured out, but basically nothing else. I mean, you know, that's the kind of thing where sometimes that guy is Cliff Alexander, right? Where he's like top five recruit in his class, shows up to college, and then turns out actually really the only thing he could do was just be more physically dominant than everybody else. And when that advantage goes away, you know, not there's not as much substance under there. With Jurisic, it's almost the opposite problem of, you know, if he doesn't have good box score numbers, then people are going to say, you know, this guy's not all that athletic and he's got terrible box score numbers. Why would I look at drafting him? And the answer is, well, you know, he does a lot of other things really well that A, don't necessarily show up in the box score, but B, you know, just make the rest of the team work better rather than just this guy can put up points and, you know, if he's a big man, he can grab a bunch of boards because he can jump higher than everybody else, but does he really do all that much else that's useful? Yeah, it's one of those, you know, trust the film. Like, don't I, we, I'm guilty of it. I think every single evaluator, every basketball fan, we always box score chase, but you got to trust the film. Like, if you're, if you're just trying to evaluate guys off of a box score, you're going to have an entirely different process than reality. Um, and Jurisic is probably the poster child for that statement because, um, I think I watched one of his recent games and he might've gone two for nine from the field or something like that. He finished with 10 points and I was like, Oh boy, like box score looks ugly. And then he turned it on. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he should have had four assists in the first five minutes and three of the shots were bricks or something like that. And maybe I'm getting the games mixed up, but the box score didn't tell me that I had to turn on the film and see like, those were all dimes. And then you start getting upset because you're like, man, make some layups guys. Come on, help them out. And, you know, he also had like a beautiful drive that just lay up, you know, in and out. And it's like, okay, well, that was a great, great play. He just didn't finish it. And box score is not going to tell me that, but it it's one of, one of the points you just brought up is one of my favorite overthinking parts of the evaluation process. And I do it all the time, but 
it's my favorite quote to ever hear from like scouts or people I'll ask around the league like, oh, well, he does a lot of stuff good, but what does he do great? He doesn't have an elite skill. And I'm like, well, wait, hold on a sec. Because if you told me a guy can do like five things really good, but he just doesn't, you know, he's not just like Ray Allen as a three-point shooter. It's like, that sounds pretty good to me if I'm picking 27th. Like if I could get a guy that, you know, he plays good defense, he he can shoot, you know, around 40% from three. He can hit big time shots. He can pass the ball. He has good awareness. He's a smart player. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, why, why are we going to go swing for the the 18 year old raw guy? That's like, well, he, he's an elite athlete, but he just hasn't clicked. It's like, there's a, a, a really dangerous world where you have to evaluate that. And, and I understand when teams are like, Hey, it's an unfinished product. Cause sometimes those are gold mines when you hit on that at some point in the draft. But I think the smart teams are the ones that are like, Hey, he, he does a lot of stuff. Good. And he really could help us. You know, the, the Christian Browns of the world that go to the Denver nuggets late and guys like that, that they might not be elite at something, but they do a lot of really good stuff on the basketball court. And, um, you know, for all the praise I've given Jurisic, he's still got a lot of work to do. Um, he's 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 raw, but there is just a lot of fun stuff that he can build off of. And I think all he needs is that stretch run this year where if he I think he's been banged up trying to get back and, you know, their team's been struggling. So I think he's trying to get back and, and help them in season play. But we'll see. Um, they got a long season left and, you know, it's just one of those, like, give me a strong four stretch of games and things might really start cooking for him. It's fascinating because he's raw in some areas where a lot of even young prospects are pretty seasoned, like, you know, shooting stuff, which again, we will get into in just a bit here, but he's also got, you know, and this is a word we've said like a thousand times already in this podcast, but such maturity to his game in areas where, a lot of young, you know, primary initiators either struggle, you know, early on or just consistently struggle with that kind of ability to change speeds and, you know, figure out different paces and make things work for them like that. So, you know, it makes the valuation even more interesting on my end, at least anyway, because there's some stuff that shows up and is like, wow, this is exceptionally immature for an 18 year old. And then there's other stuff where it's like, wow, he could really serve to clean that up a bit. And, you know, one of those areas where, oddly enough, I think we see a little bit of both from him is his defense. So let's touch quickly on his defense before we move over into the shooting stuff. And it's really interesting to sort of evaluate his defense because, again, it's the kind of thing where he's got size at 6'8". He's a pretty fluid mover, and that comes through on the defensive end. He's got great footwork, but that really more shows up on the offensive end than on the defensive end. It's tough because I feel like if he were actually six, three, then I'd be a lot more concerned about his defense. But you know, the fact that he's six, eight and moves as well as he does, you know, makes me believe that he can at least get to the point where he's decent on the defensive end. And certainly in terms of, you know, what we see from his ability to read the game, there's plenty of reason to be confident that he'll figure stuff out on that end eventually. But I mean, he's clearly got a lot more work to do on the defensive end than the offensive end. Absolutely. I I thought going into it, you know, you always get buzz or tea leaves where you're, you know, someone might be like, Oh, it's rough. Or you, you hear a little, just like, breadcrumbs of like, Oh, a jurisdiction on defense might struggle a little bit. And I was like, Oh boy, am I going to be just, I just watched offense. I was really excited about that. Am I going to just focus on defense now and sort of be torn away? And 
I thought it was fine. I, I, I thought it was promising. Um, there's definitely some, some areas for improvement um, when it comes to defending the ball. Uh, I'm right there with you. If he was 6'3", I'd be like, oh, boy. But he shows instances sometimes where he's guarding the ball, and I'm like, okay, there's some stuff there to work with where you can be, you know, not a target defensively, hopefully down the road. Um, I think off the ball, he he shows just how special his vision is as an offensive player because he just has good floor awareness. You know, he'll uh, he's really good at being kind of a pass away and and understanding where to position himself and when to jump passing lane, when to be that help side guy that can, you know, collapse real quick on a, you know, a pick and roll and, and intercept it and jump the lane. I, he shows some really good understanding when it comes to off the ball, but I just think the on the ball is trending in the right direction. Um, and it's just one of those things where you can tell that he's working on it, but it's still a young kid that's trying to get better. And, um, you know, all respect to the mega team, like he, He's clearly the guy out there. I know they got uh, Malcolm Kazalon or Kalazan. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but they got some talent, but I, I think Nicole is the, the guy and he's working a lot on the offensive side of the ball. They're, you know, they're all over the place sometimes. And he's just like, give me the ball. Let's regroup. Let's, let's, let's get things together, you know, but um, I think defensively he's, he's all right. Like he, it's where you would want. It's not keeping me up at night. It's not, you know, I'm not frustrated. Like, oh boy, he's going to have to be really fit dependent because he's just a liability defensively. I think he's got some room for, for growth. And like you said, just to be where you're not a target, you're not, you know, you're respectable out there. And I think given his size and his projected role at the NBA level, it's actually much more important in my mind that he's as good at off ball defense as he is. Because, like, he's not going to be your Case and Wallace, just sick him on the best guy on the opposing team, right? You know, he's going to be someone who, you know, maybe you're not hiding, like, aggressively, oh, my God, we have to find, you know, the least threatening player to stick this guy on. But, like, he's not going to be guarding the primary assignment, right? He's not going to be the guy who you throw on the Paul Georges and Kawhi Leonard's of the world. So given that that's the case, I think it's much more important for him to just be able to be a part of a good defensive scheme and, you know, if he gets blown by sometimes on the perimeter, you know, that happens. And as I know, I have said on this podcast before, and many others have said on this podcast before, you know, first of all, almost all rookies are terrible on the defensive end, at least, yes. you know, their first season or two in the NBA. So, you know, that kind of thing isn't really that big of a deal long-term. Everybody has to struggle to figure out defense to some extent, unless you're Davion Mitchell. And, you know, with Jurisich, the fact that he's as good as he is off ball is really a, an encouraging sign for me because that's going to be most of his responsibility, right? Is just be a cog in a good team defense rather than, okay, you know, here's the primary initiator on the other team. Good luck with him for 35 minutes, you know? Yeah. It's like playing him. Even if you played him along, he's not, he's not going to be like you said, like Casey Wallace, like Casey Wallace is going to get drafted and they're going to be like, Casey, go get him. Like go after it. You're our point guard, this is your bread and butter. Jurisic, on the other hand, I think you're going to have the versatility with his offense and his size. So you could play him off of, you know, play him at the two spot. You can play him maybe a small ball three. I don't know, but I would want him playing alongside another good defender. And like you said, being that cog in that defense where he understands his assignment as a team defender, he puts himself in the right position. He He's smart away from the ball. And I don't think he's going to be a guy, you know, and, 
I love that you said that because a lot of people don't realize that like rookies are usually not the best defensive players in their rookie season. And it's just because they're adjusting to an entirely new world. And I don't think Jurisic is ever going to be a guy that, you know, is you're putting him out there and, you know, he's expected to lock people down or I don't think teams are going to just target him all the time and be like, Jurisic, we got to go after him. I think he's going to be able to hold his own and, and be a good piece in a, a de- defensive, you know, unit. There's a lot of discussion at the extremes, with this sort of thing, where it's like either he's your lockdown, all defensive team guy, or, oh, he's such a liability. He gets blown by every play. And, you know, I think the draft community at large could use a lot more of, he's fine, you know? Like, he's not going to be the best defender on the team. He's not going to be a liability. You know, I would suspect that over the course of his NBA career, he's probably below average, but below average, not bad, not good, not great, right? But just, you know, solidly below average and has enough juice to his offensive game that he's still someone who you want to put out there on the floor, even if he's not going to be, you know, in the top half of defenders in the league. And I want to transition from that to talking about one last point before we move on to the shooting philosophy stuff, which is his mid-range game. And, you know, something that comes up a lot, I know that I talked about it a lot with Jaden Ivey last season, is sometimes there are players who really just need to be able to do something useful at one of the three levels of scoring. And, you know, there are a lot of guys who, you know, Ivey, I really bought into his long-range shot, and he's obviously just a menace at finishing around the basket, but... You know, what happens if he's stuck in the 15-foot range? And for a lot of guys, that's, you know, Ivy is the clearest example for me. But, you know, a lot of guys, they get forced off the three-point line and they can't make it all the way to the rim, and that's a problem. With Jurisic, that's almost what you want. You know, he's got such good footwork in the mid-range that if he gets trapped 15 feet from the basket, given his passing chops and his mid-range game, you can feel pretty confident that he's going to work something out, which... You know, again, given the shooting stuff that we're going to get into with the rest of his game, I think is a really big plus and something that teams will certainly focus on for him because, again, he is really effective in that mid-range area, and that is a weakness for a lot of primary initiators that he's just not going to have. It, it, he is a maniac in the mid-range. I mean, he is that if he's going to try to sell himself to NBA teams, the, the mid-range is going to be his calling card, and, and there's going to be a lot of analytics people out there that are not going to be buying it because it's the mid range and it's fine. That's that's I understand the three point percentage or the three point shot is so important in the modern NBA. I get it, but Jurisic is a bucket when you get him in the mid range. I mean, he is a dangerous player because he, he can weave through traffic. He knows how to get to his spots. He's got great awareness of how to get just the, all you need to give him is a little bit of a window and he can, do some serious damage in the mid range. And I mean, he'll post guys up. He'll use his feet to create fadeaways. He'll take fadeaway running to the baseline, you know, jumpers off the dribble, like, and then he'll just pick you apart on the elbow. I mean, especially with the pick and roll, he can do some serious stuff um, in the mid range. And I, you know, I even talked to a, a scout I really trusted, and I was just like, you know, am I crazy? I like Jurisic. I, I know I see the numbers. Am I crazy? He's like, no, you're not crazy. He's like, a lot of people like him. He, he's a mid-range guy, so he's going to have some haters. And, and it's just that's the way the NBA is. Everyone's looking for the three-point shooting. You, you, that's the way the league is transitioned. But 
you know, for, for all those guys, DeMar DeRozan has a few words he'd like to say, and there's still guys that understand how to get to their spots where they can have success on the court. And I think Jurisic knows, you know, his game is developing, but he can do a lot of damage in the mid range. And then right when he hits you with a couple jumpers, he takes you on the block and he can finish around the basket with either hand. So he's just very crafty. And, and that's where that footwork comes in. But it's, it's just funny how, you hear mid range on a guy, and I feel like everyone gets like, ah, but it's like, why? Well, I mean, he's getting efficient shots. He's getting to his bread and butter. And I think that's what makes him so dangerous as a, a ball handler, too, is he has the understanding to make throw dimes left and right off a of live dribble, but he can also pull up and just, you know, he'll be like, hey, 15 footer, thanks. Appreciate it. That's exactly what I want. Just to push back a little bit from the analytics side of this, I feel yes. like a lot of the, you know, non-analytics discussion of this is, oh, analytics people hate the mid-range. They want to get rid of the mid-range. And it's not as much that as much as it is, you know, we want to get rid of 20-footers by role players, right? We want to get rid of just, you know, one step inside the three-point line shots from people who aren't efficient at those ranges. There isn't going to be an NBA team that says, no, Chris Paul, you can't shoot from the mid-range even though you make 50% of your mid-range shots, right? Like that's not, you know, that's not the concept here. The concept is we want to cut out the worst of those shots. And with someone like Jurisic, you know, those aren't bad shots because he's making them at a decently efficient rate. You know, 45% from the mid range is just as efficient as, you know, 45% on like seven foot hook shots, right? It's the same, you know, it's the same idea. And even more to the point, it's like, because NBA teams are focusing on taking those 20 footers away from role players, when you do get someone who actually is really effective at that shot, I mean, you know, not to go back to the well with the Aaron Fox again, but this year he's at like 53% on mid-range pull-ups. And, you know, every time he gets to one of his spots, it's like, okay, that's going in. You know, it's like really the analytics side of it is more, you know, as far as I interpret it anyway, more, okay, let's get rid of the worst of those shots rather than let's get rid of all of those shots. And, you know, with someone like Jurisic, hopefully he's going to get a little bit less attention in those areas because, you know, teams are focused on trying to force players into those zones. But if you're really efficient from that zone, it is a good shot for your team to take that look rather than just being like, eh, I can kick out to a three-point shooter. It's like, well, if you're shooting 50% from mid-range and you're kicking out to a guy who's a 30% three-point shooter, the mid-range shot is the more efficient shot in that particular context. Yeah, I mean, I just... Looking at his quick numbers, I think he was 50% in his last 10 games from mid-range. So, I mean, you're, you're, and I'm, that was a quick one. So don't anyone on the, you know, stat police come after me. I was just quickly running numbers. Okay. But I, I just think it's right where you're saying like the Chris Paul examples perfectly. Like, yeah, Chris Paul takes a lot of mid-range, but he's also unbelievably gifted at knowing how to get to his spots and knowing, oh, this guy's trailing me. I can take one step to the left you know, gather dribble. I have all, this huge window. That's my elbow jumper. And I think Jurisic has that kind of feel to his game where he understands, okay, this is where I want to get to. This is my spot. You know, um, obviously I love that you said the the foot on the line jumper is probably my least favorite thing about watching basketball film. I feel like I scream every time I'm like, no, that's the worst shot in the league. Like don't take those. Cause it's just like, if you're working that hard, why not make it three, you know, but um, Jurisic is just one of those, like he'll pick you apart elbow to elbow and then he'll go and he'll hit you with a hesitation, take one extra dribble and go throw a layup up. He's just very crafty, but 
Um, just expanding that, you know, that range is, is the last part of the puzzle. And I have a feeling we're going to probably talk about that now, Nick. So speaking of the stat police, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Yes. So through his first nine games this season, Nikola Jurisic has made three of his 31 three-point attempts for yes. a 9.7% mark from three-point range. Yes. That is not great. Not, not great, great at all. But this is something that I really wanted to discuss with you because I feel like I struggle a lot to evaluate shooting with prospects. And something that I say all the time on this podcast is that I think of myself as a partial free throw truther. And, you know, I feel like I explain that every podcast too. But basically what I mean by that is the sample size for free throws is almost always larger than the sample size for three pointers. And when you're talking about three point percentages, even at the NBA level with 82 games a season, you can't really get a full idea of someone's three point shooting prowess, even over the course of one season. I mean, you know, even if you look at some of the best shooters in history, right? Ray Allen, his second year in the league, 36% from deep, his third year in the league, 35.6% from deep. And you think, eh, okay, whatever his next two, his next three seasons in a row, he's above 42%, right? And, you know, this is one of the greatest shooters of all time. And you're talking about a eh, percentage in the mid thirties, not that great. Whereas with free throws, you get a much larger sample size for pretty much every player, but also, you know, a hot stretch is less likely to completely skew your overall percentages. And this is what I've called the Derek Williams principle of if you shoot a very small number of three pointers and you happen to go on a hot stretch and, you know, you knock down, 10 of 15 three-pointers over a stretch, you know, you could be shooting 30% or sub 30% outside of that stretch, but that one stretch could be enough to, you know, kick you into the range where people are like, oh, this guy's an elite three-point shooter. So with Jurisic, I mean, you know, last season, he was at 79% from the free throw line. The season before that, he was at 78% from the free throw line. And that's a much larger sample size than his three-point shooting sample size. The flip side is, you know, 2021 he shot 150 threes and made 23 percent of them last year he shot 75 threes and made 32 percent of them this year again three for 31 you know really really not what you would hope but you know the one hand is the free throw indication you know that's the sort of statistical indicator that's positive for jurisdiction but the other thing is you know you look at his form and it's like he's pretty solid form, you know, very little variation, you know, and it's funny because with Tyrese Halliburton, a lot of people were worried about, you know, can he make sidestep threes given that he's got a very low release? That's not something you're worried about for Jurisic, but of course the flip side of all of this is, you know, first of all with Halliburton, it's like the form isn't as pretty, but it goes in. I think that matters more than the form being pretty and not going in. And, you know, the flip side for the free throw truther thing is Bruce Bowen was a 40% three point shooter and a 40% free throw shooter. Now, granted, part of that for Bowen is that his volume on three-pointers was actually much larger than his volume on free throws because he was basically just only used as a three-point specialist. But the flip side of that is, you know, I kind of struggle with, okay, the form looks good, but it's just not going in. At what point do I worry that it's not going in enough, even though it looks good, versus, you know, I think he's going to be fine in the longer term because the form looks good and he's really good from the mid-range, so... You know, therefore, I think he's probably going to be a decent three-point shooter in the long term. So, you know, I wanted to ask your sort of thoughts on this because this is something you've evaluated a lot more than I have is how do you sort of strike that balance, I guess, between, 
you know, looking at the numbers for these things versus looking at the form. And, you know, I'm going to say up front, I'm willing to bet I rely on the numbers more than a number of people at no ceilings, but it's also difficult to only rely on that because you do get these outliers that sort of make, you know, throw the whole thing into question to a certain degree. Yeah, it, it's, it's really important. I think, um, one of the best parts you were saying there is you have to, when you see a season like this, like he's at 9% and it's like, okay, is it just a travesty? Like when you, when you look at his shot and you go watch a shot, it looks good to me. Um, it looks solid. He, he's a really high release and there's a lot of movement with his shot and it's just like a long load up and, and I'm, I'm, I'll get in my head and I'll start thinking like, okay, is that something that maybe someone would want to tinker with, with being like, Hey, you're trying to do too much with your outside form. Um, when he gets off the mid range and he's shooting, it's very fluid, very smooth. He's confident shooting. It's not this, you know, lack of confidence when it comes to the outside shot. Like he'll have some games where he, he's running off, you know, handoffs and hitting wide open threes off movement. And it's nothing but net. And it's beautiful. And you're like, okay, what's, you know, what is this? It could be because you watch the film and then you go look at the numbers and you're like, this does not match. Like this makes no sense. Um, and then that's when I get to a point where I'll be like, I have to talk to someone who's smarter at this than me. And I'll be like, Hey, you know, let well, me pick your mind. This no, no, no. I'm just saying like, that's I'll I'll literally ask like a shooting guy. I'll be like, talk to me. Like what, what, what would you do here? What, what would you think? Because when I'm watching a, a shooting and I'm evaluating, like the the fundamentals, I really want to see is like the lower body. Is it consistent? Um, especially with like the footwork, is it is it a consistent you know repetition of looks like good balance and you know if if they're coming off screens or they're movement shooting, do they have their feet set? Are they like are they fading when they're shooting or? Um, does it just look like they have a good foundation? Because I feel like when you have that especially with the lower body, if the feet aren't everywhere, I feel like some people can tinker with that and, and make improvements in a hurry. But what I wanted to say with that you brought up in the beginning is like, you see the 9% and then you have to go back and be like, okay, has this been a common theme or is this maybe a different situation this year? And like, he was improving each season. The free throw percentage has been consistent. I'm right there with you. Like, I don't think that's everything, but I think that tells a lot. Um, if you can shoot efficiently and you're also shooting efficiently at the line, I think that's going to make you feel good at night. And Jurisic is was off to a rough start this season. And then all of a sudden he's still around 80% from the free throw line. And his free throw shot is the same thing. It's consistent. The form looks great. Um, and so I, I feel good about it. It's just, I'm right there with you. The numbers don't lie. Eventually they come around and it's like, okay, you either got to have a spark with this one or it's telling you a bigger story. And Jurisic, I think that's the biggest thing holding him back is if he could put on a stretch of games where he's all of a sudden shooting 45% over a five game stretch. Um, I think that's going to, you know, alert a lot of people in the NBA world where they're going to be like, uh Oh, okay, here we go. Like the, the everything's starting to click. Um, Denny Avdia was the same thing. Like he really struggled from outside and people were like, well, yeah, he's skilled. He's got great size, but the outside shot. And then all of a sudden he had that stretch at the end of the year where people were like, obvious shooting 48% from three in his last six games. Like what's going on? So it's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be also fascinating. Just talk around and, and see what people think because I don't, it doesn't look like a form that's just going to scare me. It, it it does look good to me, but it's one of those like, well, how long are we going to, 
go down this road before we start to be like, Hey, 9% and he'll have games where he hits a couple threes from outside and you're just like, okay. But then, you know, one of the last games I watched, he had a wide open look and it felt like he rushed it and it, it was way off. And I was like, he had all the time in the world. Why did he rush that? So I don't know if it's just now he's got the, the shanks because it's inside his head and it's ruining his confidence when it comes to his outside shot. But you never know. I, I mean, with a young talent like that, all it takes is one game of, he goes five for six and he's like, okay, I think I got it figured out, but I'm right there with you. The numbers don't lie for too long. <laughs> I mean, even just, you know, the basic example of you bring up the game that he played against OTE against the Thompson brothers, he shot four for four from three point range. If you just yeah. add that to his season totals, he goes up to 20%. All of a sudden he's seven for 35 from three point range. 20% is not great, but it's not the, you know, horror story number of 9%, right? It's like even just one tiny little hot stretch, just one good game where he knocks in a bunch of three-pointers and all of a sudden that percentage goes from horrifying to just scary. But, you know, I think the key point is one that you brought up earlier, which is he's still taking the threes, right? He's still, you know, confident enough in his three-point shot that he's taking them and you know, it's not like there aren't NBA players who go on cold stretches, right? Like, you know, I don't think it was quite three for 31, but there was a point this season when Kevin Herter went from like, you know, basically 50% on three pointers to he had a few bad games and it tanked his percentage. It's like, well, you know, there's a difference between, and again, part of this is also just that he's only played nine games this season, right? It's like, there's a point at which, you know, okay, you're just going through a cold stretch versus like, you know, last year he shot, you know, 75 threes and hit 32 percent of them that's pretty decent but the year before that he shot literally five times as many three-pointers as he shot this season he was still at 23 percent, right so it's like you know on the one hand okay you know he's still confident enough to take them this year that's really strong hopefully he'll go on a hotter stretch and that percentage will look better the flip side of that though is the volume is much larger from you know 2020 2021 than it is from last season and the percentage looks a lot worse you know is that is that something to be concerned about, especially since his free throw percentage has been consistent for across both those seasons, you know, 78%, 79%? Or is it just that, you know, okay, if he had a cold stretch during 2020, 2021, that you really dragged him down? I mean, I think that's less likely just given how much larger the sample size is. But again, when you're talking about three-point shooting, you know, even the best players in the NBA have cold stretches that last long enough to make their seasons overall look not as great. And then, you know, again, the example that I had with Ray Allen or, you know, sort of even more obviously, I mean, Damian Lillard last year shot 32% from three-point range. And you look at that and it's just like, wait, what? Damian Lillard shot that? But it's like, well, you know, even in the NBA, even with someone like Damian Lillard who takes more three-pointers than basically everybody else, one season is really not as indicative as looking over a longer stretch of their career. And with Jurisic, that's both good and bad in a way because like, he's proven that he's much better than a 9% three-point shooter, but he's also not really proven to me that he's even a 30% three-point shooter over the longer term. And, you know, that is bit concerning given that it would really help out the rest of his game if he was better from that range but the flip side again as we've talked about already is like at least he hasn't lost confidence in the shot right at least he's still taking the shot and that is a huge part of the evaluation too because if he's gonna be open and then hesitate you know then it sort of defeats the purpose of even if he does get better as a three-point shooter if he doesn't believe in it enough then 
you know, defenses are just going to ignore him from out there. And it's like, yeah, okay, if you hit two wide open threes per game, you know, this is sort of the Rajon Rondo thing of like, okay, great, you hit 37% from three one season, you took two threes a game, and every single one of them was completely wide open. You know, that doesn't really bend a defense, even if it looks better on paper than 9%, but actually getting up a few of those attempts every game. Yeah, I mean, the percentages are always a, a scary thing to monitor because, like you're saying, it doesn't tell the full story all the time. Like, he had a... He's been in and out of the lineup this year because he had he had a knee strain that kept him out a couple games, and in one of the games he think he got hurt like four minutes into the game, but he came back and he had a three game stretch where like you look on on paper you're like oh he averaged fourteen three three and two steals, um, shot forty one percent from the field. You're like oh that's okay that's solid. During that three game stretch, he went zero for thirteen from three. So like we're talking about a, just a cold spell from three. He had four attempts per game. So, I mean, yeah, that, going over 13 in nine games or, you know, over a season, I don't care what you say, that's going to put a big, big dent in your, in your three-point percentage. So some of the greatest guys in the NBA, like Nick saying, can go on cold streaks and then all of a sudden they just get crazy hot and take over, you know, ruin opposing teams' lives for a couple of weeks. But I think Jurisic is just, it, it's, are you believing in the form? Or are you, is it another scenario? Are you scared of it? I, I'm believing in the form. I, the fundamentals look strong to me. I think it's just disappointing because last year, you know, he was playing with Jovic, your, your boy. And this year he was all of a sudden going to, it looked like, okay, you're, this is your team. You're going to be the guy. You're probably going to put up way better numbers. And it's just kind of been like, okay, he still shows plenty of flashes um, but just the, the production hasn't really had the uptick, but we could put that on the preseason injury with the throat, or we could put that on the knee strain, but now it's, you know, he's back in action. It's time to see if he can all of a sudden have that stretch that we're talking about where it's like, okay, you've been cold. Let's see if you can heat up. And all he needs is this three game stretch where it's like, okay, there, there we go. The shots falling. And cause he's not a guy that also will put up like 10, three point shots. He's just, that's not the way he plays. He'll put up two or three or four a game. And, um, you know, if, if it's not falling and he's picking apart a defense in the mid range, he'll, he'll lean on that. But it's just, you got to get to a point where you can hit a couple of those outside the, the Rajon Rondo effect. Like you just said, like you got to at least make him respect you. Um, and that's the last thing I think is, is missing from his game is he has got to get that efficiency from downtown rolling because he has games where he looks like a sniper from outside. But then, you know, the game, I just, talked about he had a wide open look like no one five feet near him and he barely hit the rim and i was like whoa okay like that looked like nine percent but he also has games where he hits tough shots and it's nothing but net from from beyond the arc it's funny because with nikola jersic it's very possible that three months from now we look back and we say you know we were in on him before everybody else because all of a sudden he had that hot two-month stretch and now he's a clear first-round guy and might even go lottery. And the flip side of that is we could look back in three months and he continues to stay cold from three-point range and everybody's like, why the hell were you this high on him? And it's like, well, you know, there's a lot in the skill set that doesn't necessarily show up on the film that is worth looking at as a first-round guy. And, you know, it is really funny because, again, if he just has three straight games like he did against the Thompson Twins of, you know, four for four from three-point range, then all of a sudden we're talking about a guy who, you know, those three games could be enough to keep him above 30% for the season, even if he goes on a cold streak after that, right? So 
it's really just sort of small sample size theater of maybe an increased sample size. He still goes 23% from deep like he did two years ago, or he has a couple games where he gets hot from three, he knocks them down and, you know, three, four for four games from long range might genuinely be enough to keep his three point percentage above water for the rest of the season. So it'll be interesting because especially given his injury stuff, it's very possible that we've seen the worst stretch from Jurisic this season. But also given that, you know, there is this really wide variance in his three-point shooting and, you know, really only one season where he's even above 30%, it's possible that he can continue to stay cold from three-point range and it just looks worse than it does now. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's always interesting this time of the year. I feel like a lot of mainstream draft boards and, and guys out there that are really talented with doing this whole entire process in the draft community, it's it's always interesting to see who the movement guys like who, because they're getting buzz around the league, you know, no ceilings. We're getting buzz around guys and you look around and there's some names that, you know, if they stay in that similar spot, despite like a, a disappointing start to the year, that's usually like, whoa, they got some fans around the league. And I think Jurisic has been one of those guys where it's like, he's still mock some places and, and going in the first round. And it's like, Hey, this guy's shooting 9% right now from three. I mean, obviously NBA teams must be buying that this is, you know, a tough start to the year and they're buying the talent long-term and you got to remember his age. You know, we're not talking about a 21 year old draftable guy that's shooting like this. This is an 18 year old guy who's going to turn 19 in in February and teams might just be saying like, Hey, the, the form looks good. We'll, we'll figure it out. He's got plenty of other skills in his game. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of these, projections of him still being a first round pick right now is like hey he is at a nightmare start to the year his team's struggling they're they're falling down in the standings he's had a couple injuries um but he's still shown that he can be a very very effective player on the court so time will tell but i'm right there with you all it takes is a, a strong stretch of games and jurisdiction could be a completely different conversation in a couple months all right anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up anything you want to plug real quick no, I don't. I just want to plug, go to noceilingsnba.com. And, you know, Nick, I haven't said this to you ever, but light the beam. Sacramento Kings, they're they are making <laughs> yes. some noise in the Western Conference. I looked at the standings today and I was like, my goodness, look out. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. I feel like I'm a Kings fan at heart now just because you're on the team. Appreciate it. Well, you know, this is one of the fun seasons for the Kings that hasn't really been a thing for the Kings in a very long time. So... <laughs> It's that weird mix between I want to be cautiously optimistic, but also, I mean, just want to give it all to the beam. Just, you know, forfeit all mortal possessions to the beam, you know? To the beam. Praise the beam. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, he is Tyler Rucker. You can find him on Twitter at BackcourtV or at Tyler underscore Rucker, depending on the day or which burner <laughs> account he's most active on that particular moment. And you can also find his written work on noceilingsnba.com. If you have not checked it out, please be sure to check out his Around the World article on Nikola Jurisic, given that we just talked about him for an hour. And as he said, you can find him on No Ceilings NBA. And of course, you can find him on the flagship No Ceilings NBA podcast every Friday with the other Tyler, Tyler Metcalf. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my written work on noceilingsmba.com. I will be writing 
the next article in my Sleeper Deep Dive series that will come out on Thursday, the day after this podcast releases. I'll be writing about Coleman Hawkins of Illinois, who's someone else who's been a very fascinating evaluation for me this season and very unique kind of player. So I think that'll be really fun. Also, be sure to check out the No Ceilings exclusive interview that Stephen Glaspie had with Santa Clara's Brandon Pozemski, which will be coming out later today on the day that this podcast comes out. So definitely be sure to check that out if it's late enough in the day that that has also released after this podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. 2023 will be the first full year of the full No Ceilings feed. So No Ceilings NBA content in your podcast feed every day. If you've been enjoying that, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback about the deep dive section of the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. 